This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 34 of season two, and I have a problem today. I don't know if it's being picked up. I'm going to stop and listen, but a cricket has embedded itself in someplace in this room. (laughs) I can't find it. The only way I can make it stop is to stomp on the floor. So you may have to listen to a cricket. Hold on, let me make it stop and see if I can hear it. Hold on. Now let me go see if I can hear this damn thing. Okay, I think it's temporarily silenced, but now I hear tree frogs and a cicada. So (laughs) I'm doing the best I can. Anyhow, y'all, I wanted to talk today about what I just said, actually doing the best you can. But more importantly... You know, as witches, we talk a lot about things like getting rid of negative energy and sweeping away bad juju. And I don't hear us talk a whole lot about something a little bit closer to home. And that would be our own bad energy that we forget to clear up. That seems especially relevant to me right now, y'all, because, well, a lot of us are suffering. A lot of us are upset and concerned and worried and feel traumatized by what's happening politically. And overall, it can lead to quite a bit of negativity in our homes and in our heads and our hearts. Now, I get it. Believe me, I get it. But we still have to function and we have to be able to think so that we can fight. You know, I think it took me forever to understand that after some really nasty quarrels in my home, that energy didn't just take out of here because things got better. That's not the way it works. And while we all have our ways to clean a space and clear it of negative energy, my favorite way is always my handy dandy broom. Well, or a besom. I'm not really like other people when it comes to besoms, uh, which is, uh, to me, a broom that has a magical purpose, but rather... I have usually only two. I have the one for household use and I have the one for ritual use. Well, that is not altogether true. I have, I have these beautiful, I suppose, vintage statues of Santa Claus from around the world and at different times. While I'm a Yule kind of girl, I sure do love a Santa story. What's better than a jolly elf? Am I right? And so I have these statues, and one of the Santas had what looked to be like a stab. And the cat knocked it over years ago, and the stab broke. And so I made Santa a little broom. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I like to do, of course, is to make as many things as I can from the land. And one of the best pieces of homesteading advice I've ever gotten is to utilize yucca especially down here in the deep south where it's literally everywhere. I make a soap out of it, a cleaner out of it. I put vinegar in there to make it stable and sometimes really cheap vodka. And maybe a dot or two of lavender oil, but ooh, I don't know if y'all can hear the thunder rolling in. 
But after I boil all those gorgeous long spears and get all of the green matter off of them to make the soap, if you keep going um, with a nice grinding rock, strip that off. And honestly, the back of a spoon works quite well for me anyway. There are all these beautiful fibers left. And as my partner taught me, they make wonderful cordage. Well, the day I needed to make some soap, off of them I was in a horrible hurry and the spears were not as long as usual but I didn't want to throw them away and so I just kept going and cleaning them and then reboiled them tied together of course so they wouldn't lose you know that nice long length and cut them and braided my own little tiny broom it's very simple it's very sweet But my Santa Claus from 1925 now has a (laughs) besom. And uh, I reckon he's pretty proud of it. And I suppose that makes me odd. I suppose a lot of the things that I do make me weird or odd. And I wanted to speak to that a little bit today. You know, there's not, I don't think anyone that I admire that was not odd or strange as, you know, the rest of the world might call it when they were a child, and I resemble that very much. My heroes were never the norm. (laughs) My favorite Christmas story was about the Isle of Lost Toys. Do y'all remember that one? And the little Dennis goes there, and they're all mismatched and unwanted because there was something different about them. Well, that was my favorite. That made complete sense. I was the black sheep of my family, And was not very understood or valued past my grandmother. And you know, she was the one. I didn't call her grandmother. I call her grandma. She was the one who told me stories about her childhood. And her mother, who would take her broom, we'll call it that, and sweep the front path that happened to be dirt. Every morning and every evening. Every morning to knock the dust off the day and every evening to hold back any kind of, well, for lack of a better way to put it, bad juju. I have gotten in that very habit and I suppose it is an odd one, but it is also a very witchy one to try to wake up and sweep my front porch. Now, even if there's nothing really there, even if the rain and the thunder washed it all away, it is a magical act for me to brush off the worries I had overnight or the bad dreams or anything that is troubling in any way. Sweep it all away. Welcome the sun. Welcome the day, regardless if there's sun shining or not. And just of late, I found myself doing the same thing as I closed down for the evening. And it's become almost like closing ritual for my home. Some of these weird things throughout my life have become so meaningful to me. I can't imagine living without them. You know, I've spent so many years when I was younger trying to be uh, normal. Trying to be normal almost killed me. I was put into a, a place when I was a teenager. I was always bucking the system. I also was horribly abused emotionally and physically as a child and in other ways, but... We don't have time for a trigger warning, so I'll skip them. 
And so they shoved me away in another treatment facility to try to normalize me and also to not deal with me. Because if they had to deal with me, they would have to deal with the trauma that they had enacted upon me. They would have to take responsibility. Nobody wants that. No, Lord. Especially not the Deep South. So I was put in this little place. And I remember one day we were having one of those group therapy sessions. Gosh, I don't remember the year. 1983, 4, somewhere therein. Maybe even a little bit before that, but early 80s. So you can imagine how open-minded everybody was, especially in Alabama. And they were attacking this young man because they had decided that he was gay. That is not the word they used. I will never repeat the word they used. And I couldn't quite bear it anymore. Everyone wanted to be like everyone else. And we think that we all grow out of that when we become adults, but that is not true at all. I mean, even if we're trying to be like the others in our church, follow lockstep with what they believe and never rebel because then someone will say, not one of us, you know? Well, just like any Southern storyteller have gone around the mulberry bush, I'll bet to it. And so I spoke up. I told the truth, but I spoke up in a way that would pull the attention off that young man and put it squarely on my teenage shoulders. And it worked certainly did. I told them that I thought I might be bisexual because it had occurred to me before that I had felt attracted to women and you could have heard a pen drop. You see, even this young man was not admitting to anything. It did turn out later on that yes, in fact, he was gay. But all of the attention landed squarely on me because I had done the unthinkable. I had accepted the weirdness (laughs) to them. It's not weird, only in the best way, but to them, outside of the norm, I had then gone so far as to accuse the room that if they had never considered their own sexuality and had only stepped in time with everything they had been taught, then perhaps there could be more of my predilection in that room. Oh, that really incensed everyone. (laughs) The last thing you ever want to say to a bunch of deeply Southern assholes (laughs) is, are you sure you're not gay too? (laughs) Oh, anyway, I had to be on what they called the hot seat for the rest of the week. Every day they would scream at me and um, belittle me. And I won't go any further on that either. It only made me more furious. And only made me a little bit more, well, almost proud to be a misfit. I remember the misfits and I remember loving the t-shirts because I felt that finally there was a label I could accept because I didn't want to fit. I never did. I felt pressured to fit, but that was never going to work out. That would never be okay. Not for me to be who I became. But the truth is I will never know exactly who I would have become. I am quite happy. I love my husband. I love my marriage and I love my life where it is. But there are things about me I will never know because I was too afraid to buck those systems when I became older. Um, I think I was 31, 31 or 32. And I had moved further south into Alabama to go to college 
go to university, as they say in England. Of course, I did that on grants and loans and food stamps and three jobs with three children. So I wasn't exactly the normal student in that freshman room. (laughs) So it may have been freshman year. It may have been second year. What matters most is there was this girl. She was older than the other ones in the room. She was a softball player, and she had red hair and freckles on her nose and the strangest and honestly magical combination of slightly browned skin up against those freckles. It never made any sense to me. And she sat in front of me in English class, and she smelled like sun and sometimes like chlorine. I think they went swimming right before they came to class. And I believe she was uh, 24, 23 or 24. And she kept her hair up in a ponytail. And the ponytail would come out the back of her softball cap. And when she would swish her head, I could smell soap. And I don't know, something else. I remember feeling dizzy in her presence. I remember always wanting to be... Well, in the group she was in, and I would get so sad if she didn't come to class that day for any reason, and I would wonder what she was going to be wearing that day, and she just got right up in my head. Here I am, you know, six years old or seven, something like that. She was an adult, let's be clear here, but, and I never acted on anything, let's also be clear of that, but feeling that getting under my skin and feeling that there were things I had not explored in my life that I wanted to. And my mother had always just absolutely despised gay women, lesbians, loved gay men, but felt that gay women were, I'm not going to go any further. She was just a horrible, horrible attitude altogether. And I had a phone call with her one night. i didn't tell her. I never would have told her. But it was almost as if she knew. And there are reasons for that too, but we'll leave that alone. The apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. And I forget what I had to tell her. I think I had to tell her that I was changing my major. And, you know, I was in my early 30s, but to do anything without mother's permission meant possible disdain. I felt that I always had to have that approval. So I said something to the effect of, I have something I need to talk to you about. And before I could take a breath to finish, I'm pretty sure it was about changing my major. She interrupted and she said very forcefully, as long as it's not that you are gay, I'm fine. We can work it out. And I remember my eyes stinging for a second because I didn't expect to have tears in them. I didn't expect to have such a physical reaction to her words. She never did explain why, not one time, she thought that I might be. Mm. I'm so sorry, y'all. As happy as I feel about some things going on in my life, if I ever think back to some of this trauma, it's, um, it's significantly painful. You know, we never stop being those kids. We can go back and talk to those younger selves And we can try to heal them and be our own mothers. And honestly, most of the time, that and therapy are about all we have. I've been doing this work for at least now, at least 10 years. 
but the sting does still come. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you this story is because as I moved on in the world and had children, I felt that there were parts of myself it was best to give up. Now, if those parts of myself had been hurting anyone or destroying anyone's life in any way, or even possibly, you know, to some extent illegal, therefore risking my children, I think I should have carved those things out or at least put them at rest until my children were older. However, I do not believe that this is one of them. (laughs) I remember another time I was wearing a light green velvet shirt and it was Christmas time. And I love this light green shirt. I think I've talked about it before. It was like a very soft avocado. Almost impossible to describe it, but I never forgot it. And I wore it not because of the color, but I wore it because of how it felt on my skin. And I loved it. I had found it at a secondhand thrift shop. It was my favorite thing. And again, I was in my 30s. A little bit later on, I believe. And I was at her home. I came out of the room wearing my favorite shirt and she stopped and she was very dramatic, you know, looked aghast and practically held onto a wall, (laughs) you know, very Southern and said, oh my God, you have to take that off. Oh, you look so sick in that color. You look horrible. And I thought I was so, I mean, it hurts. And I was so thrown back. I kind of forged on and said, well, it's not that bad. And she kept on insisting. I I couldn't even be in the living room. I had to go change. It was offending her that much. But I always did, didn't I, Mama? I always did just offend you so much. Mm. And so as a mother, I let my children be weird. I know what I mean by that word. I think I'm reappropriating the word into, well, a freeing place. If it was something that was used against me, I want to grab that word and use it back in a way that makes sense to me. I let my children have spiky hair. I let them dye their hair blue and green and pink. I let my sons play with dolls. Well, only one of them wanted to. And stomp around with my heels on and my purses. And they would call it a beauty pageant. (laughs) Believe me. I'm, well, at the time was what Republicans feared the most. Their godfather was gay. um, And was very close to them. Gave them the sex talk when it was appropriate. I also did. They both turned out straight. So, no, you can't make a child gay. I tried. (laughs) I'm just partially kidding. It never seemed very fair to me that all these sweet um, children that were not loved by their parents couldn't have been born to one that would. You know, specifically speaking about a different time and place. Anyway, being weird to me was always the thing that meant that you could survive. It meant you weren't cookie cutter. It meant you were special in the most perfect sort of way. Y'all will excuse my language again, because occasionally I do cuss. That's something I call fucked up beautiful. I know it when I see it. I've been calling it that since I was maybe 35. Fucked up beautiful is a human or 
anything really that has been told it is wrong because of something that it already is and somehow is more beautiful, more exquisitely moving because of it. Mm-hmm. And so I started telling myself it was okay that I was a little fucked up. And I don't mean because I thought I might be gay or bisexual. No, that's not what I mean at all. A little fucked up by my rearing. A little fucked up by the drama I had experienced in life. And the fact that I had this horrible weakness where I had to tell the truth too much to too many people. (laughs) And I found a way to see myself as beautiful up against that shattered glass that my mother and so many people here in the Deep South kept holding up to me and calling a mirror. The truth is, y'all, I've always had just a slight distrust of anyone who hasn't gone through something. I know what I'm capable of because I have hit rock bottom. And yes, I've actually hit rock bottom in my life more than one time. And I know what I'm capable of. And I know where I draw a line because of it. Someone who lives in an ivory tower and who's never had to figure out where they're going to get their next meal and who's never like myself, been to jail when I was younger, spent an entire year there. It was the 80s. You know, or someone who wasn't fully loved by their parents or someone who didn't have to scrap and save on food stamps with three jobs just to break open penny banks of your own child to keep the lights on at Christmas. I don't know. To me, someone who has never fallen, we don't know what they're capable of. That seems to be rather rough, and I don't really mean it to be as rough, but it's in deep defense of the rest of us who are fucked up beautiful. We know how far we'll go, and we know how far we won't go, because we've been there. Now, that's a true test of character, wouldn't you say? It all brings me back around to an interview that I did yesterday live with Pastor Adam, I have been used to standing in front of roomfuls of students, just huge rooms of students at the university. And I have stood in front of more than that, more than a thousand people at speaking engagements back when I was working on my academic life and that world that I've left behind so much. But actually being interviewed live, that one Uh, My teeth were chattering. (laughs) I was so nervous. But there was this moment yesterday while we were doing the recording. And I want to make sure I'm affecting this tenderly. When Adam asked me something to the effect of, you know, are there rules? What holds, you know, what holds true? I guess he's looking for guiding principles in witchcraft. And I understand his question. I understand it. And I almost started to cry because it was the first time a Christian ever looked at me, you know, so to speak, and incredulously, but quite innocently. I mean, he really did not understand. And it was so pure of a moment and asked me in my understanding of what he was asking me, what holds you all in place? (laughs) What keeps you all, he did not ask this. It's my head. I'm hearing these questions. What keeps you all from not burning everything to the ground? Uh, 
where are the guiding principles? <laughs> and and I get it. We must look like such an anomaly. <laughs> I remember um, a dear friend of mine who is just 100 uh, percent devout Catholic does believe I'm going to hell. I've spent very limited time with this friend um, because of it, but I know this friend cannot break out of that echo chamber in his head, if you know what I mean. It's just, it's hammered in there, wedged so tight, welded at the seams. He cannot understand. But what bothers him the most is, how can you be so good inside and I'm not always so good, but in his estimation, I am. So let's be all real clear here. I am no saint at all. But he just couldn't understand how good could reside inside of my body and I not be a Christian. And I had that moment with Pastor Adam yesterday. I want to be really clear again. He was not suggesting anything. It was the most innocent of questions. And therefore, it must be a question that other Christians contemplate. What I wanted, you know, those moments when you're done with an interview and you think, oh, damn it. Oh, God, I wish I had said this, right? I did the best I could. I thought on my feet as quickly as I could to answer that question. But now I wish I had said, because in true Gen X fashion, I should. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. <laughs> Nothing holds me in place. Nothing but me. And what I mean by that is I take full responsibility for my actions. I am not afraid I will be punished. I am not afraid that I will burn forever. I do not believe in that mythology. No one can make me and the science does not support it. <laughs> I do not hold to that. I do believe I'm here to learn lessons and personally, and not all of us witches do. I believe in reincarnation. I believe that I will live until I figured it all out or until something else occurs to interrupt that. A body in motion will stay in motion until it is acted upon by an outside force. So, oh gosh, you know, it almost makes me want to cry. Imagine, imagine a world in which you understand that there are precepts and principles that have been laid down for us and that we have to agree to them and enact them. Sometimes even, if not force, pressure other people to also live by those precepts because we are so afraid to go to hell. And then meeting someone who does all of those same things, who believes in love and files their taxes and won't steal and won't lie and won't cheat. Can you imagine how that can shake and shimmy all of your ideological ground? What holds them in place? It turns out I just want to be a good person. And I want to be a good person when I'm standing over a cauldron. And I, yeah, I have a cauldron. And I want to be a good person when I have done things that are a little bit more dark. Say, the banishment of a soul away from my life that was hurting my life. I want to be a good person when I do a healing ritual. I want to be a good person when I hit 
my knees on Samhain in the dirt and pour out wine for my great mother. I want to be a good person. It's just that there's not a book that tells me what that is. So our road, I suppose, in some ways, while looking easier, um, it's a little harder, isn't it? Oh, it's a little harder in a lot of ways, but especially if we're solitary or a family tradition or something without any code, I suppose I'm unruly, but I always have been a little weird. For instance, if I find somebody of a different faith and they are willing to accept my faith and not attempt to convert me, I'm all about holding space with that person. I'm all about friendship with that human being. I don't want to perpetuate the crimes against humanity that Christianity has deeply enacted for thousands of years. I I don't want to be part of the problem. And I uh, don't break bread with a Christian who would attack my family, my children, my belief system. I would kindly stand up and, well, maybe not so politely altogether, but... I won't sit with that because I believe that I'm a sacred human being and I don't allow other forces to injure that sacred human being. And it's not only Christians who do that kind of nonsense and say that you have to step in a certain line and be a certain way, wear a certain pointy hat or don't wear a hat or do be in a coven or don't or... (sighs) It's exhausting, isn't it? We have work to do in our own community. Because the second we're not weird anymore, (laughs) the moment we all look the same as witches and do all the same things and understand the same precepts, the moment that occurs, well, I don't want to be part anymore. I will be taking my funny little hat and leaving the party if that occurs, if that's my only choice. I think what I wish I had said to Pastor Adam is the truth is no one ever could and no one ever will control a witch. That is part of the reason that Christianity has always been so terrified of us and not just Christianity, other faiths as well, because we cannot be controlled. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck ever filing charges on a witch for a spell. Mm -hmm. Good luck controlling those impulses, that magical human being. It's impossible. And that impossibility strikes fear into the heart of people that would like reins on something. Because fear drives people to do some really scary shit, y'all. Really scary. Fear of a different gender fear of not being able to control someone's gender, that being an autonomous, spontaneous understanding within their own flesh and bones, that can't be. We must tell them that they are boy or girl immediately. Uh, See, that's the same bullshit. There it is again, fear. I think that fear is also born out of this moment within an individual where everything they've ever known or understood kind of shakes and shimmies a little bit, like an earthquake tremor from far away. What if all these walls, 
these bars, these categories, these understandings of who I'm supposed to be, what if they're not real? What if instead I've accepted into a system? You know, and I've always thought that should be a fine place to be, to have your little piece of ground shimmied and shaped in such a manner. Well, if you come out of that little tornado and you are still the same, well then, you were right all along, weren't you? But if the fear is that you won't be, what kind of life is that? Were you meant to be something else? You are too afraid to find out? I think that's what it is. I've always thought it was. When I was a university professor and I had, you know, a 90% Republican base, things would come up. Situations would arise, especially when you're reading literature. Very scary for some of them. But they had been told certain things by their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents, their churches, their fraternities, their sororities, and sometimes even their advisors. And I would say, wait, 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 wait. We are reading this passage from the Quran because we are also reading this passage from the Bible. And I want to compare them. This should not shake your belief system at all if it is real. And if it is in your heart to look at another viewpoint, it should not shake it. I had one student who called me the great gray area teacher. I would agree with him. All I ever got him to do is look at the gray area and he would run right back to the other side. But so many things are in the gray area. So many learning opportunities are in the gray area. And to have everything we've ever believed questioned by ourselves. See, that is our responsibility to do, isn't it? By ourselves. And if we decide, if we come right back to, well, there, I've questioned it and I still feel very... Of course, most people don't do the deep questioning they ought to do. I'm okay with it. I'm happy here. Now, if you survive that dark night of the soul, then you are in the right place. I wouldn't want to live a life that had not been shaken a little. It sounds too pristine. It sounds horribly boring, doesn't it? I'm sure a lack of pain and a lack of risk must be very comfortable and easy to manage and I don't really begrudge anyone that life, but it just doesn't seem to be hitting its full potential. You know, I'll never know what happened to that softball player, and I'll never know what could have happened. It's gone. It's over. I missed that opportunity because I wanted my mother's approval and, you know, by proxy, society's approval. I'm happily married. I'm where I want to be, but we only get to be... 15, 25, 35, come on, 56, 62. We only get to be at one time. Mm, I want to be whoever I am in that moment. And for me, that will always be just a little weird. (laughs) And I suppose I will always scare people that way just by not being, um, normal. Mm. You know, one of my favorite books in the entire world is I Am Legend. And 
As I say that, I bet most of you instantly thought of Will Smith in the movie, and you would be horribly wrong. You would be incorrect, dear sir and madam, and all the rest of they. Because the book I love, I believe it was published in 1954, don't hold me to it, was by Richard Matheson. And yes, they did horrible things to this book later on in a movie. But it questioned everything. It questioned normalcy in a way that was shocking and unearthed everything underneath me. And I taught it every opportunity I could. But one of the quotes from there that it's, I, I keep on thinking about getting a tattoo, actually, that says that is normalcy. What is it? Is it a majority concept? Hold on. Yes, here's my copy. Normalcy was a majority concept, the standard of many, and not the standard of just one man. That is Richard Matheson, I Am Legend. I highly encourage you to go read this book. Very old. Uh, One of the heroes of Stephen King, actually. What I loved most about it, I don't know if I loved it or it disturbed me or if I felt it. Anyway, it had an impact on me was um, sometimes the monsters are ourselves, the majority. Totally worth the read. Totally worth the thought process. All right, y'all. We've had a thunderstorm, and I need to go check on my chickens and my rabbits. But before I go, um, I will be doing my Patreon shout-outs next week because I've been doing them every week, and I think it's better to kind of gather them all together. And I'm only doing that for new patrons. I hope you will consider checking us out. Our Patreon supports the podcast and keeps us on the air, but we also do really cool stuff over there and I release member-only content. We have a neat Facebook group that's become like family and we'd love to have y'all. All All right, y'all. To all the misfits, everyone out there that feels a little weird, anyone who identifies as fucked up beautiful, keep it up. Look at you shine, baby. Man, wouldn't the world be boring without us? Love you like chickens. Blessed be y'all. Talk to you next week. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.